wounded but not broken. With host Patrick Scroggins. As a U.S. Army attack helicopter pilot deployed in Iraq, Patrick faced a devastating crash, which resulted in him dying, losing a leg, and a slew of broken bones. Patrick's story of rehabilitation has helped others to overcome their own obstacles. Each week, Patrick recounts stories of inspiration and interviews guests who have overcome remarkable obstacles. This is Wounded But Not Broken with your host, Patrick Scroggins. Everybody, welcome to Wounded But Not Broken here on this Monday night. I hope everybody had a great weekend. I know mine was long. I went to the Dallas Chiefs game and it was kind of brutal, but uh, got through it, got home, and uh, sucks that Dallas lost, but that is what it is. Um, you know, with all everything going on in the country right now, all the all the negative stuff, you know, I I think I look forward to this Monday night at six o'clock because. I get to bring a, a positive spin to everything. You know, I get to bring on here with me some of the, you know, greatest heroes of our time, you know, whether uh, people that stepped up and, and, and answered the nation's call to do what others wouldn't. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I got to go to the football field and see the top 1% athletes play. Well, now this is the top 1% of the Americans because these are the men and women that stepped up and, answered the nation's call. And tonight on the podcast, I have Joshua Sust. He's a Marine, and uh, I'm going to let him start in with his story. Josh? Oh, thanks for having me, Pat. Uh, yeah, yeah, man, so thanks for coming. My name is Josh. Yeah, um, you know, so I was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, Mom and Dad got divorced around when I was 13, 14 years old, and that's kind of like when my path started going down the wrong direction. You know what I mean? I got involved in the wrong things. Uh, I was drinking a lot, partying. Didn't really know where my life was going to go. And then um, I just decided to join the Marine Corps. And 9-11 was a big part of that, too. You know, I just wanted just to serve and give back. I just felt like I had to. It was a purpose of mine. I just wanted to serve our country. And to be honest, you know, I didn't have anything else going for me at the time. So, you know, I was like, why not? What's the worst that could happen? Right. So, after, so like, yeah, we, we, so September 11th, just really quick. September 11th, you know, on that day. I mean, what did you feel that day? What 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 changed inside of you to make you say, "Man, I, I want to join the Marine Corps." Uh, I didn't especially <clears throat> think about the Marine Corps. I just wanted to serve my country. I don't know, man. Just seeing the images of people jumping out of those buildings and watching the towers fall. I was in the eighth grade when that happened. So. I remember the teacher bringing the TV, all that big roller thing that was strapped in back in the day. And then, you know, just watching all this chaos going on. And then once you figured out, you know, they, a terrorist attack that attacked our country, I was like, I just have to do something. I don't know, just something about it in my blood, in my system, in my mindset is just like, hey, you need to do something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was much the same for me. Um, it was, I was a little bit older, but yeah, it was just a, uh... It's just a feeling that you just, I guess you can't really describe. It's just like your calling, you know, it's just like it's right. what you're meant to do. Yeah, and yeah. then, I, like I said, I'm hanging out with the wrong people, involved in the wrong things. and I, My life wasn't going very well. It was going in two directions, either prison, jail, or dead, you know, because my friends that I was involved with then, you know, half of them are addicted to heroin or OD'd. Um, I was no different than them. I never did heroin, but I was definitely doing pills. Um, but I just realized at that age that, Hey, it was time for me to make a choice. And I joined a debt program my junior year of high school. And then two weeks after I graduated, I was gone to boot camp. Gotcha. So how did Marine Corps come into factor? Did you look at all the, all the branches? I did. Uh, so my dad was in the army and he really wanted me to join the air force. And I was like, no. And it's like, what about the army? And I was like, mm, possibly. And then I just talked to the Marine recruiter. And it's like, he just kind of spun it up and gave me the spiel and said I was going to travel the world, get all the girls. And I was sold, man. I was 18 years old. just full of it. You know what I mean? I was just ready to go. And I did, And here's the naive part about it is when I joined the Marine Corps, I thought the Marine Corps was only infantry. I didn't know there was any other jobs out there. 
Well, every every Marine Corps uh, soldier is a rifleman, right? Rifleman first, isn't that your motto? Well, that's what they say. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. I got you. I, I beg to differ with that motto. But, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it was just all the commercials you saw, <clears throat> all the the war stuff in Iraq. You know, I just thought Marines were grunts. I had no idea there was, like, supply and motor tea and all that jazz. So when I joined, right. I was like, yeah, I want to be an infantryman. And they're like, okay. <laughs> okay, good luck. Right? I mean, they needed bodies at the time, so why not? Right. Right. So how did that uh, How did that culture shock, that initial culture shock when you reported to get off that bus? How'd that go? Oh, man, it was, it was crazy. Um, I had a drill instructor come right on the bus, so <clears throat> we, I took a bus from – uh, Louisville, Kentucky, all the way down to Paris Island, South Carolina. And uh, the drill instructor got on the bus, was yelling at us, told us to keep our heads down, and then we went up to the yellow footprints, and that's when the fun started. And I just remember calling my mom, and it's just like, I think you said, like, uh, this recruit has arrived safely in Paris Island. Please don't send anything, and I will contact you when I can. And that was it. And that's yeah, how yeah. the whole Marine Corps started for me. You know, it was, it was definitely a wake-up call. Um, because like I said, I never had any, I didn't have that discipline at the time. I didn't have the leadership skills that I eventually learned. I didn't have any of that. You know, I was just this fresh kid that was cocky and thought he was gangster and all kinds of other stuff at the time I was in high school. And now like my whole world was about to change more than I would ever know. Right. So not to get off topic or not to not to get in your flow of things, but so, you know, you said you were hanging around with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong things. That was a big wake-up call for you. Do you think? Yes. I mean, do you, do you think, and looking back now, that's absolutely the best decision that you made? Oh, it was 100%, even everything that's happened to me. I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, um, Because, like I said, yeah. if it wasn't for the Marine Corps, who knows where I'd be. Yeah. And no, I, I, I hear friends it. I used to, yeah, you know what I mean? I got friends I used to hang out with back in the day, and, They'll be like, hey, man, you changed. Like, you're not who you once were. I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of how it's supposed to be. And they're like, you think yeah. you're better than us. I was like, I don't think I'm better than you. I just think I made the right choices. And it got me out of the situation that you're in now. And, you know, it's a shame to see your buddies that you were hanging out with and that you cared about and were great friends. And they're just – their whole adult life is just the drugs, man. It's it's just crazy. And uh, it, it is, it's horrible. I know uh, I did a Veterans Day speech in my hometown on Veterans Day and to, you know, to catch up on some of the stories of the, of the people that I grew up with and to hear where they're at in life. It just, it's saddening. I mean, it just, it just makes you, it makes you feel bad for them, but you can't because I mean, you make your own choices, right? I mean, Correct. it's not, it, I mean, you got to put it on the person. I mean, you make a bad decision, you got to suffer the consequences and that's just kind of how you got to look at it. But yeah, it's it is. It's a very it's a very difficult thing, especially growing up in a rural area with uh, where drugs are just, you know, overtake everything, and that's and it's oh, getting yeah. worse. You know, at the time, we didn't know what we were doing. We thought we were just having fun, right? We didn't know that popping pills, Xanax, and Percocets and Oxys would lead to the heroin epidemic. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. You just get addicted yeah, to that feeling, and then you just you can't get it anymore because the you know, the pharmacies were just handing out those types of pills left and right, kind of like how the VA does it now. Um, and, you know, they took that away. And then what else do they have to fall on? It just, it's heroin. So I'm just thankful enough that I realized even after I got hurt that, hey, I need to get off this shit just so I don't yeah, go well, down the path I was. Well, kudos to you, man, for making that choice and, and, and getting out of that environment. I know, uh, um, you know, it's much of the same. That's what I was trying to tell the kids you know, in my hometown is, uh, there's a lot more to life than sitting around with puffing on something or, or, you know, putting something in your body that doesn't need to be there. But, um, you know, Correct. at the end of the day, it's a, that's a decision that uh, everybody's got to make on their own. And, you know, I would, I would really advocate, you know, you know, for people like that, that can't make that decision. I think the military is a, is a phenomenal tool to get your act together and to, you know, get your life on the right track. But, um, so you get to Paris Island, you get the culture shock, and then uh, go from there. Yeah, so I get to Paris Island, get the culture shock. Um, 
training daily, just breaking you down and building you back up. And then three months later, you graduate, you know, and you're officially a Marine. And then you're cockier as hell. You know what I mean? Your chest is all up, up held up high. <laughs> they teach you how to walk again, and it's yes, sir, no, ma'am, buy your leave, all this other stuff. You know, I was just, I was just thankful that, hey, I did it. You know, this is supposed to be the hardest thing you can do military branch-wise in the enlisted service is Marine boot camp, right? So I was like, okay, I completed this task. And that really right. gave me a warm and fuzzy because I think even when I was hanging out with the wrong people, I was always looking for, I don't know, maybe an older brother or a father-like figure to help guide my way, and I never had that. And I think there's a lot of kids out there now that don't have that. And like you said, the military is a great purpose to just do your four years, learn everything you can, and the bonds you get with these people – it's it's hard to explain because you get thrown in with the most type of random men and women now um, that you could ever imagine, and you know you guys become brothers. And you probably would never hung out with them or talk to them if it wasn't for the Marine Corps. Absolutely, polar opposite, or any polar opposite personalities. Um, yeah. and it's it, and the Marine Corps. I will say the Marine Corps probably you know does it the best as far as the esprit de corps, the pride the, you know, the fulfillment, I mean, the Marines eat it up and, and they, you know, it's, it's really all inspiring to watch every year, the Marine Marine Corps ball and you see social media blow up with the Marine Marine Corps birthday. I mean, it's, you know, it's awesome. And I, and, you know, I, I have a lot of friends as Marines or you being one of them. And, you know, I mean, we all just, we all just come together. It's like a big family, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So after you graduated basic, you, uh, you went on to what? I went on to SOI, which is down at Camp Geiger in uh, Lejeune, North Carolina. And that was another three months of training. And I thought boot camp was rough, and then I got to SOI, and that was a different story. Yeah, yeah, because you're expected to perform at a different level at that point. Correct. You know, and you got sergeants, and you had to call everybody sir, and it's like, I'm a sergeant, not a sir, and all that other jazz. And, just more head head games and more games to play, and they're just they're just breaking you down some more. Like everything you learned to be can't just throw it away because you're gonna learn everything new here. Right, right. So SLI for the people that don't know, what is what does that stand for? Oh, that's School of Infantry. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I knew. I just wanted you to say it. Um, yeah, so yeah. That's, and, where and the, that's where all the grunts go. Right. Right. So, do you think? What did you learn? Uh, from that school, do you think? Uh, just basically how to be an infantry marine. You know, just the basics. The overall basics and how to buddy rush and run the rabbit and stuff like that. Shoot, communicate. Because you didn't really do a lot of that in boot camp. I mean, as far as shooting, you just did the rifle ball. And that was it. Right. If, as I can right. recall. And I was with iron sights back in the day. Um now it's a little different. They do it with egg calm. But, yeah, so SOI was just kind of like the basic fundamentals of the infantry. Yeah. And so in that school, so that you said that was three months? Yep, that was three months. And then I believe it was like a month and a half to two months in, then you got to choose your occupational specialty, which was like for me. So I chose a rifleman, which is a 0311. And people, you can go machine gunner, uh, mortarman, assaultman. And then I think there's now there's another one that I can't recall. Yeah, I don't know. But I just stuffed out so the you, grunt, so. Right, so you go through, you get through SLI or School of Infantry, and then what was your first unit? My first unit, I got shipped to California. I went up with uh, 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines. Gotcha. And then did you, and my uh, seniors, did you... Go ahead. Oh, yeah, so when I got to the fleet, um, that was a, a difficult change, too, because first off, I was in Ohio, North Carolina, and then I go out to Camp Pendleton, and I just remember saying, like, what are those mountains? And they would laugh, like, those ain't mountains, those are hills. I'm like, what kind of hills are those? I mean, these <laughs> are some steep hills. I mean, it kicked my butt. And right. on top of that, my seniors were still deployed in Iraq at the time I got there. So all the Marines that were in that unit in Echo Company were all, um, you know, the guys that were the RBE, so the re- remain behind element. 
so they didn't deploy. So it was kind of lackadaisy. And that all changed once they got back. Right, right. Hey, we're gonna take a we're gonna break here. We're gonna get a word from our sponsors, and when we come back, we're gonna continue with Josh's story and ultimately up to when he got hurt. So stay tuned. You're listening to Wounded but Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. My father was the, the best truck driver I've known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. VBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We're here with Josh Sust, uh, Marine. And I did ha- I did have some emails wanting to, uh, some of my shows to go into some, in, in kind of depth in the training, uh, basic training and, and the follow-on is kind of so I try to do that as much as much as possible on this show, um, but uh, we're going to get to the the you know the the parts that that really, uh, in my opinion, set uh, wounded soldiers and veterans. Aside. You know, we're getting to that part here in just a minute, to where you know you got your brothers to your left and to your right, and you're willing to you know do anything for them, and that's that whole esprit de corps and that brotherhood is what we all share, and uh, Josh is a prime example of that. And so we're going to continue on with this story. Uh, so, Josh, you get to your first unit, and they were already deployed, correct? So you were part of the Yeah, they the were Ruby. in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so you didn't join them there the first time, or, or you did? No. My first deployment was a MU, so a Marine Expeditionary Unit. I did the 11th MU out of Okinawa, or not the 11th MU, the 30 the thirty. 31st Mew out of Okinawa, Japan. Sorry. Gotcha. And what did you do there? Uh, so I was, we were pretty much based in Oki. Um, it was pretty much just be like being back in the States. Um, they had everything we could go do. And then we went to, where did we go? We went to uh, Thailand and we went to Subic Bay in the Philippines. And we also trained with the Philmars. Gotcha. And so, like, what was your mission uh, doing doing that deployment? Um, the MU is basically the 911 force of the world. So if something would pop off, um, example, like what happened in Afghanistan, I believe the 14th MU went there. Um, but the president could call that MU up, and they could send them right away. So we're just kind of in the Pacific just kind of hanging out. Gotcha, like a QRF. 
Yeah, pretty much. Quick, rea- quick reactionary force. All right, so mm-hmm. uh, take us on from there in your in your career. So when uh, you, you did that one, and then and then what was next for you? Yeah, I did that mew, and then my next appointment, I did another mew. I did an 11th mew out of San Diego, and this time we got to go a lot of places. Uh, we went to Malaysia. We went back to Thailand, uh, Djibouti, Africa, uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Did some training out there. Again, the same thing. Um, just being that QRF force, if need be, if something would happen, um, we did sit off the coast of Yemen for like 110 days. So we were on river city. Um, but that was pretty much it for that deployment. And then I reenlisted just to go to Afghanistan, but Hey, be careful. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because might so on, just these, on, these, on these mu missions. So you, you're not just sitting there, you're training, you're constantly training, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're constantly training. So like my, my plan of the day would be, so you'd wake up in the morning, you go PT on the flight deck usually, and then you come back, you eat lunch or you eat breakfast. You get done with breakfast, you kick a bunch of classes, um, do some more training, maybe do some weapons drills down in the loading dock bay uh, down there, then you eat lunch, and then after lunch you probably go to the gym and work out, and then you just continue this vicious cycle for the whole six months you're on ship. Yeah. Unless you get all the reports, and then you get to have fun. Hats off to you. I don't know if I can do the ship thing, but... It'd be tough yeah, man, it's it's, so, it's weird. Well, so you re-enlisted, and and then you and you mentioned you re-enlisted to go to Afghanistan. Yeah, because I joined the infantry to go to war. Like that was the whole reason I joined. As a no, man, I, I, I feel you, man. I feel you. Um, yeah. So yeah. you go. How did that? De- how did that deployment start out? Just kind of walk us through it, and then uh, you know, just my Afghan take deployment? us through that deployment. Yeah. Yeah, so it started off, um, so I re-enlisted, and I actually deferred my duty station to make sure that I could definitely go to Afghanistan. So I was actually trying to go with 3-5, but 3-5 was only taking uh, Lance Corporals and below, so E3 and below. They weren't taking any Corporals at the time, which, you know what, turns out to probably be a good blessing because they got hit pretty hard in Sangin. Um so what happened was my lieutenant was talking to me, and he's like, hey, Corporal Suss, don't go to the unit you were thinking about going. Stay here. And I was like, why? you got to give me more of that. He's like, well, we're switching. So I said, okay. So I called the monitor. I told him I wanted to stay in 2-4. So I did my whole enlistment time with 2-4. We deployed to Afghanistan in September 1st of 2011. I got to Afghanistan and got there. We flew in the Leatherneck. And then Leatherneck's a big city type thing. Really no action going on, just kind of lackadaisical. You got, you know, shops, you got restaurants, you got everything there. So that was that. And then we got pushed to our AO, which is our operating area. And in my mind, I thought as soon as the bird would land, we were going to take contact. That's not what happened at all. You know, it was pretty pretty easy day, and uh, we just, you know, ripped with the other unit that was there. I can't remember the unit we ripped with, um, but we just, they took us out on the first patrol, and I remember my first patrol, and I definitely had the pucker factor, but the Marines we were ripping with, they weren't even conditioned one. They were, like, conditioned four when we went on this patrol. They are like, we're not going to get shot at. If you want to get shot at, you got to go over here. And I was like, oh, okay. <clears throat> so that was kind of my introduction into Afghanistan. So everything I thought was going to happen, like for movies or whatever, talking to your buddies, none of that happened. It was really slow until after we officially ripped and that unit left, and then really it picked up. Right. Well, a lot of times when you when you do that, and uh, you know the old units exfilling, new, new units coming in, a lot of times it'll pick up because they're trying to test that new unit. They kind of know Correct. that previous unit, yeah, how they dealt with things, and they want to see how you all are going to deal with things, so they'll kick up the pressure on that. But So that's kind of what happened? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. You know, the Taliban's not dumb. Uh, they're pretty smart. They've been doing it for centuries. It's the same warfare hasn't changed, and they haven't lost yet. So, I mean, they know what they're doing. And, you know, when you think about Afghanistan, the best – the way I describe it, it's, think about it as Jesus' times with mopeds. Because it is really like going back in time when you're over there. Right, 
No, for sure. It's, I mean, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. People wouldn't, I don't think some people here could gr- really grasp how that culture and the way they operate and the way that they live. I mean, people just can't understand it. I don't think, I mean, you have to see it. Right. And then especially where we were, you know, I was in Helmand. So we're at the Southern end of Afghanistan, but like people see like Kabul and think like this big city is like where I was, there was none of that, man. This, it was mud huts. Some people had electricity. Some people didn't. They might've had one tractor for the whole village and the village, village elder runs things. So trying to get democracy down to an area like that is kind of, it's impossible. You know what I mean? Right. They're just doing their own thing. Right. Right. And then, and I can't yeah, blame it's them. Just a, yeah. I mean, it's just the way they've, they've operated for centuries and, and, you know, they're the way they view you know, the hierarchy, like you said, you know, the, the senior elder, he runs everything. And then, you know, we talk, we, I mean, we could get into a whole discussion about how they treat women, which is absolutely insane. People like people here, if they could actually witness that some of these people, they would be speechless. Oh yeah. Not only that, I mean, it's the things you see when you're over there and chai boys. I don't want to get into all that, but you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's just a totally different world and it's something that most people just have no idea and can't connect to. And it's, it's really not something that you really want to talk about, you know, on a, on a radio, on a radio show. So, but anyway, so you go, you get down in that. And uh, so I assume you just go straight into just patrolling and, and I'm sure that yeah, we're the hit straight in patrolling. So we started off at uh, PBs, which are patrol bases for the people that don't know. And we had our own uh, patrol base. My first patrol base was PB Rogers and my platoon was there. So second platoon. Well, I, after like, three weeks to a month, everybody ended up closing down our patrol bases and we went to Camp Shirgazi, the whole company. So all the different platoons had patrol bases on the outskirts of Shirgazi and then we closed all those and we moved to Shirgazi and then we started pushing to, I believe, the northeast area towards Ugly Hill. Right, and that's all coming down from higher because of for whatever intel they have uh, on the Taliban. Correct. All that, yeah. So, um, okay. So you're going, you're you're doing all your patrols out of your on your patrol bases, and so the, uh, at what what part of that deployment did it really start to get exciting and kind of? Uh, I don't want to say exciting like a, I'm a warmonger or something, but you know, I mean that's your you job. Mean real? So, like when it got real? Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably when my uh, my brother Ben was killed. Um, October sixth is really when it 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 became real like real, real. Um, Cause you don't think you think you're invincible, especially, you know, when you first get your first contact or whatever, and you got that adrenaline dump and that it's just, you just feel like such a man. I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just, it is the best high of your life. You know, there's nothing like that out there, but when here's what they don't tell you about the war. Um, when one of your brothers dies, you don't get a chance to mourn their life. The war doesn't stop. You know, you just, yep. it sucks. And you just have to carry on the plan of the day. You might smoke a cigarette. You might talk with your boys. You're going to cry. And that's it. You know, that's all you can do. But you don't get to mourn. You don't get to have a timeout. It's like, no, we still got patrols to do. We still got stuff to do. The war doesn't end. And we have a mission to complete. And for me, that was hard, man. That was real hard. Like yeah. one of your brothers dies and you don't even get a chance to mourn and you just got to continue on with the mission. And being a <clears throat> NCO, you have to hold all that emotion back and not let your other Marines see that because you still have a job to do. You still have Marines that are under your charge that you have to take care of. But that's when it became Right. Real. Yeah, man. And you know, and a lot of people, that's just a big thing a lot of people don't understand, the, the mental uh, – the mental stress that it takes to operate in a war zone. But uh, we're going to take another quick break here for a commercial and a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to continue on with the story. Stay tuned. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. 
GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. CBN Veterans Broadcast Network brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Everybody. Welcome back. Well, we're going to dive right back into this and uh, kind of pick up the pace here a little bit. Josh, can you talk about uh, when your when your first uh, buddy or brother got? Can you can you walk us through that that engagement of of what happened and and how he passed away? Yeah. Uh, so I was actually on G boss duty at PB Rogers, and um, I'll never forget it. We were just sitting there, and all of a sudden. River City goes on the net, so once you hear that, you know something happened. You don't know exactly what. You just know someone got hurt, um, either possibly maimed or killed. Um, <clears throat> birds were coming in. Uh, long story short, we still didn't know. Uh, the next day, we had Marines coming back from Shirgazi, and I asked Cody, I said, hey, do you know who it is? Because we found out someone was killed. We just didn't know who. And he said, yeah. Uh, I know who it is. And I said, you're going to tell me? And he's like, I can't. The lieutenant said he wants to talk to you. And then I was like, do I know who it is? And he's like, yeah. And then, like, for me, that, you know, it sucked. <clears throat> and then once my lieutenant told me it was uh, <clears throat> Lance Corporal Schmidt, Ben Schmidt, who was a sniper, and the way Ben was killed was it was actually friendly fire. So the tanks with the coax lit him up. And that's how he died. Mm. Man, not even that just makes. I mean, it, it's never easy to lose a friend or lose. You don't ever want to see a life. Uh, you really don't want to see a life going on either side. But you know, and and when a when a situation arises like that, a friendly fire incident, man, that just that's a whole different uh, whole different ball game. Um, oh yeah, it was it was a whole different ball game. All right. Yeah, man. I, that's crazy. And so, were, was this? Were you hurt on this deployment, or was it another one? Yeah, I was hurt on this deployment. So that was October 6th. Um, I, I got injured uh, November 12th, 2011. So my live day was a couple of days ago. Um, it was 10 oh. years. And um, <clears throat> we were, I was in a vehicle, and I was in the second Vic. We left with three. Um, our lieutenant was telling us to come back because we were supposed to drop off supplies to the unit that was going to be patrolling. Um, he ended up picking up position and they were no longer at that grid. So we turned around and when we were driving on this road, I just remember looking down and then I had a 
gut feeling like, hey, that's a good spot. And before I could even think of spot, it was just complete silence and white. Obviously not from a biblical standpoint. I don't think it was God. I think it was the blast, obviously, from the blast and everything white. But the weirdest part about it, man, it was probably the most peaceful experience I ever had. Wow. Tell us about it. It was, yeah, man, it was just, so we hit, and then I just remember floating because I got ejected out of my seat. My door got blown off. I went with it, and the last image I have is my Kevlar coming off my head, and then I woke up. I was on the ground, and then I woke up, and I didn't realize exactly what happened, but I looked to my left, and my truck was there, and I actually have a little video of this not that exact moment, but like five minutes after that moment when the doc comes up to me and I ask him, hey, is it messed up? Talking about my arm, and he's like, yeah, it's definitely broken. Um, So I do have some footage of that. But, yeah, it was just, you know, I woke up, and once I realized what was going on, I started assessing myself. So I checked my jump to make sure that was still there. Um, I could move my left leg, but I had pain in my left foot. And my whole right side of my body was fine. But when I meant to move my left arm, it would not move at all. And then I felt like someone dropped a five-gallon bucket of water on my head. And then when I went to wipe with my right hand, it was blood. So I was kind of freaking out. And then I was trying to get to my IFAC, which I really couldn't get to because my left arm was just not moving. I didn't realize at the time, but I had open fractures. Um, So I was trying to get everything going on my right side really hard um and then we ended up getting icom chatter that the taliban saw the blast and they're getting ready to set up snipers in our position so then they had to move me off the x and at this point in time doc i am begging for him to give me the shot of morphine he didn't give me anything he said you have an injury it can kill you and i was like oh i don't care just give it to me and we still joke about it to this day because he didn't give it to me so i didn't have any pain medicine until that bird landed, dust off, and they took me away to Bastion. Right. And so walk us through uh, kind of your experiences from there, what you remember, and uh, tell us the extent of your injuries, you know, once you figured it out. Yeah, so um, once they split up my arm, they carried me up to another Matt V. Um, they put me inside that Matt V, and I am in the adrenaline starting to wear off, and here comes the pain. And I am begging somebody for a cigarette because I am I am hurting. So my buddy Swafford throws me a cigarette. I smoked that thing in like five seconds. And I was like, you got another one? He just throws me the pack. So at this point in time, they're already called in the Z-Mist, um, get the bird on station. The bird's coming in. It lands. They get off the Blackhawk. <clears throat> they come up to our vehicle. They have a stretcher, and I was like, I'm not getting on that. So I had two Marines carry me to the bird. Um, they carry me to this bird. This lady comes up, pops up in her visor. Most beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen in my life. I say that, but I was in Afghanistan. I didn't see a lot of women at the time, so they could have just been really blue and pretty, and I just got blown up, so who knows. Um, (laughs) But anyway, they fly me to Bastion. I land in Bastion, and being the mommy boy that I am, the first thing that comes to my mom is I need to call my mother. Um just because I want her to know what happened to me. So they get me in. I asked to make a phone call because I'm still coherent during all this. Um, And I try to call my mom. It's probably like 2 o'clock in the morning here. Um, She doesn't answer. So they take me back, do some x-rays. They bring me back out, and I said, I want to try to call my mom again. So it was probably about 20 minutes later. I end up calling my mom again. She answers the phone. Now, Granted, what came out of my mouth was probably the best thing to tell your mom, <clears throat> but when she answered the phone, she said, Josh, it's so good to hear your voice. And the next thing out of my mouth is, don't freak out. I just got blown up. And she lost it. <laughs> she starts screaming and hollering. She hands the phone to my little brother, uh, Jacob. He gets on the phone. He's, like, all sleepy. He's like, hello? I'm like, hey, I got blown up. I'm going back to surgery. I'll talk to you guys later. I love you. Bye. And that was it. And then I had surgery. But when they're reeling me back into surgery to clean me up, they were playing If I Die Young on the radio. So I don't like that song very much anymore. <laughs> I bet not. I bet your mom, no. <laughs> that's crazy. I bet your mom was uh, 
I bet she wasn't too happy about that. She'd probably still hear about that to this day. Oh, yeah, man. She's like, you gave me these gray hairs. Like, I never hear the end of it. And then she was trying to catch a flight to Afghanistan. Like, mom went all mama bear trying to find out where I was. I'm like, well, I'm okay. Because when the Marine Corps got a hold of her, they just told her I got hurt, and I had, like, facial injuries. I had injuries to my arm and my leg. And that's all the information they would give her. Right. Well, yeah, and that's – I think that's kind of – because I, I I understand why they do that now. I didn't really at the time, but I uh, I do now. Is because that's because with our injuries and everything that goes on in the infections, you know, it's it's right. It's, it's a const, constantly changing process. So where you may have lost your foot, next thing you know, you're missing your leg above your knee because of infection or whatever it might be. So um, right, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I understand that. Yeah, happened to me. Um, yeah. So yeah, exactly with. Once you get out, once you get out of surgery, like how, what did, uh, when, when, at what point did you find out how bad you were messed up? Probably a couple of days out of surgery. So I didn't lose my leg right away. I was wind salvaged for three and a half years. So they wind salvaged my leg. They fixed me up, gave me plates and screws, skin grafts, all that jazz. Same thing with my arm. And they sent me to, I flew from Bastion to Manas, Manas to Germany for a week. I was constantly having surgeries. Everything was getting washed out. And then uh, finally ended up at Balboa Hospital in California, where I spent the next two and a half years of my Marine Corps career. Right. Yeah, just just trying to overcome all the all the trauma and then, the, the, you know, trying to get better the therapy. And you say a limb salvage. So kind of explain what a limb salvage is, because some people might not understand or might not know. Yeah, so limb salvage is where they do everything in the power to save your limb. Um, they don't want to amputate it right away. They want to wait. And basically they want to wait until you can't take it anymore. And that was three and a half years in because I was ready to end my life if I had this damn thing still. Right. Because so did you have like a, a, I mean, What's that? Did I have an I'm X? sorry. No, I didn't have an asphyxiator. I had um, – they put in a bunch of plates and screws. And my tib-fib was all shattered. I had no more cartilage left in my ankle. And they did some work on my heel. So I had a bunch of pins in my toes and stuff. But I didn't have the X-68 or no. Oh, man. I bet that's, that was painful. I bet you were like, cut it off. Yeah, man. Well, especially when you see, you know, you start to know these guys. And they're, you know, they, they're limb salvaging. And they cut it off. And then they're back to normal six to seven months later. You know what I mean? Like, you just see the progression. So when I was first in right. the hospital, I mean, I was non-weight-bearing for nine months. I was in a power chair for nine months. Wow. And during that time, I wasn't making the best choices about my eating habits. You know what I mean? Like, we had a 24-7 <laughs> McDonald's. And I had a loving mother that would go get me McDonald's whenever I wanted it. You know? So I yeah. started putting on the weight, and then you're getting all these pills. And then that's really, you know, then the dream started. Right, so I started yeah. having these vivid-ass dreams, and I didn't want to get to sleep anymore. So then they were putting me on Seroquel and Trazodone to make me go to sleep, and then I'm sleeping for 15 hours. Well, you can't function like that. You right. know, then your, your only job while you're at the hospital is occupational therapy and, phys and physical therapy, and then every once in a while they want you to do formations. But I can't go to a formation if I can't get up at 8 o'clock in the morning because I'm taking all this medicine. Right. So do you think that you became dependent on pain pills and sleeping pills? Oh, for sure. How is that sure. uh how is how is that challenge to get to knock them to get off of them? It's hard, man. Um like I said, you know, after I got medically retired out of the Marine Corps and I was just trying to find myself and just kind of picture where everything was because you know, I was 24 years old when I got hurt. You know, I was at the top of my We'll call it career as a Marine. I did what I wanted to do. I was still cocky, headstrong. I was in the best shape of my life. And then this happened. And it sets everything back. It set everything real back. And then you're on all this medicine and you're getting addicted to painkillers. You're getting addicted to sleep meds because you don't want to go to sleep because of the nightmares. And then when you don't get the nightmares, you, you're angry, you're cranky, you're not a pleasant person to be around, your family doesn't want to be around you, because you're just a dick all the time. And I can't blame them. Right, yeah, it's it's a very tough, 
it's a very tough thing, and I think you're describing it well. And uh, you're going to continue to describe that uh, when we come back. We're going to hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. CBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I just want to make one quick statement here. Uh, these stories that you hear on this show are raw and uh, they're the truth. And this is what these soldiers live through, what I live through. And it's not always easy to hear. Sometimes it's very graphic. And uh, I just want people to be aware that uh, it's not like we're trying to gross anybody out or anything like that. It's just uh, I want these stories to be real. Uh, I want them to be just how they happened, uh, to, to, pay, to be able to paint a vivid picture uh, for what the soldier today has to deal with when he, when he gets injured. And so that being said, Josh, uh, take us to the day that you decided to amputate your leg because you had the choice, right? They were trying to save your leg and you ultimately made right. the decision to cut it off. I sure did. Um, the biggest deciding factor was that was when I didn't want to live anymore. Um, 2014, uh, I guess you could say it's a suicide attempt, but I stuck a rifle in my mouth, but I didn't pull the trigger um, for whatever reason. So there's that. And once that happened, I realized like something's got to give because I was just living in a cloud, man. It was, my life was not enjoyable. I was high all the time for the painkillers. The pain was outrageous. I wasn't happy. And I, for me, my inspiration was seeing people that have done the limb salvage and amputated before and knowing the outcome. And I had guys tell me like, Hey, it's not, you know, it's not everything you think it's going to be, but it might be better. I was like, well, being better is being better. And it's better than being dead because that's where I'm headed. I I just didn't want to live anymore. So I went, and met my doctor, Dr. Amos, at the Cincinnati VA. I sat down with him, and I said, sir, this is what I want. This is why I want it, and this is what's going to happen after it gets done. And he agreed to do it in two and a half months. I literally cried when he said he'd do it because I knew at that point it was going to change my life in so many ways for the better. Wow. Yeah, I, uh, you know, that 
that that the suicide part's pretty pretty powerful, especially especially since you're willing to share that. A lot of people aren't willing to share that because for some pre, for some reason people look at that as a weakness or something. I, I want to make it very clear: it's not a weakness. It's uh, you know I've said many times on this show that that you can never relate to what these soldiers have to put up with, what they've been through, what they've seen, and the amount of pain that you live with on a daily basis when you get hurt. It takes a it takes a different a different breed of cat, man. I mean it's it's a it's it's a it's a hard life, you know? It's but it's better than the alternative and I think that's that's how we all see it is we all have something to live for and we always we try to find that and we try to push through it and, and it sounds like that's what you did and and man, kudos to you. I'm super proud of you for that. And and uh, so when, when you did get your when you did get it amputated, you know, when, I know you went through the rehab and you did all that. How did that change your life? What like was it instant? Did well, it take a little bit of time? Have two weeks after the amputation, I didn't take any more pain pills. I was done. I was like, I'm done with these. I don't need them. And I stopped. I just got That's off awesome. of them. I got off all my meds, man. I that day when I stopped the painkillers, I stopped everything. I stopped taking trazodone. I stopped taking mini prez. I stopped taking Zoloft. I stopped taking it all. Yeah, and it really and helped me step. open up my mind and clear everything up. It made me feel alive again. Right. Yeah, and, and once you flush motivated. that stuff out of your, once you flush that stuff out of your system, then you can. You feel like you again, and now you got a new sense of accomplishment and new sense of pride and, and, you know, drive, right? Right. And then on top of that, I have brothers that are missing multiple limbs or just one limb. I mean, I'm just a BK, right? So it's a paper cut. That's what we all call it. People, you know, a gas over that term, a paper cut when you're missing a leg. But that's what us in the military people call it. You know what I mean? So... I'm very thankful that I have that outlet of guys and ladies that I can talk to and have his inspiration. Like, I mean, like Pacheco, right? For instance, I know you know Jason. I don't know if probably other people don't know who he is, but I was fortunate enough to serve with Jason all throughout my military career. Me and Jason served in 2-4 together. So I knew Jason before he got hurt. And then everything he's accomplished since then, man, it's been a huge inspiration to me. It's like, okay, yeah. this guy can do everything. And, you know, it's not easy. It's it's hard to have that chip on your shoulder and you carry out everything with your rest of your life going on. And then you got guys like Matt Amos and Mike Fox and Jason Hallett and you and all the other guys I've met through, you know. That's another thing, like Wounded Warrior Outdoors. You know, that's where a lot of us have met, and I'm very thankful for Ron and that, what he's created for us to get together and have that experience. Because, man, there is no, I know you know this as much as I do, but there is nothing more like that. You talk about the brotherhood. Yes, the brotherhood runs deep in the Marine Corps, but the brotherhood of the wounded runs deeper than anything else. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, the events that WWO puts on to get everybody together, you know, unscripted, off camera, where you can just be you. I mean, we could not air what goes on at them events, but it is. No, no, no you cannot. But. That's the best part because you know it's just us being ourselves. Right, right. It's that it's that camaraderie, and you know it's being around people that have walked in the same footsteps as you, people that are mm-hmm. that are willing to lay their life on the on the line for something greater than themselves. And I think that that forms a brotherhood that most people can't imagine. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to even comprehend, but you know we're very fortunate to be put in that situation. And I think for me personally. You know, this has been my 10-year alive day in November uh, the 12th. So for me, I what I used to think is coincidence or luck or just getting by, I now think is providence. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think this is where God wants me to be. And, it, you know, it's yeah. kind of crazy to think about that because – of what happened. But I mean, to be honest with you, man, like after the whole Afghanistan thing happened, it really put me down in a spiral and I had to get, I, I had to get away. I had to get out of my own mind because I was questioning everything. Was it worth it? Was the sacrifice worth it? Was it worth it for my friends that died? You know, it was, it was some heavy shit. And uh, I got away and I went back to the stomping grounds in Camp Pendleton and climbed up first Arn Hill and visit the crosses 
um, and just, you know, sat down, talked with the guys that are no longer there, but their memorials are there. And, you know, I talked, I wept, I prayed, and it was an amazing thing to have, you know, just like the whole suicide thing. I think we as men um, are taught that, you know, your emotions, you're supposed to push deep down inside and not let that out. But, man, that's a wrong way to go about life. You need to release those emotions. It's healthy to do that. That's actually a good thing to release that and not keep it all buried down inside so it just blows up on you. Absolutely. I mean, a real man can control his emotions but also can let them go when it need to be go because or when you need to let them go because you can't keep that stuff bottled up. And, and that's and that, again, that's where you're talking about that wounded camaraderie like WWO puts on. When guys, you know, we get together like that, I mean, there's always a, a one of them moments to where everybody's just like, oh, damn. You know, it's just one of them silent moments that everybody just, we're all on the same page. We know what we're thinking, and it's just, it's just touching. You know, it's very hard to, it's very hard to explain. But um, mm-hmm. I guess you kind of got to, you got to, kind of got to be there. But, man, I really appreciate you coming on tonight and telling your story. Um and, you know, happy, uh, I guess, a little late alive day. Uh, super glad you're here, man. And I I commend you for everything you've overcame and, and pushed through and everything you continue to do for the to the for the wounded warrior community, man. You're you're a, you're a true testament to what what we all should be. Oh, thanks, brother. I appreciate that. And the only thing I got left for the people listening is no matter who you are, no matter where we come from or no matter what happens to us, if you can define us. Absolutely. That's uh, well said. I don't think I, I don't think I don't think anybody could say it better, man. We're, I'm I'm right there with you and I hope uh everybody tonight could connect on that level, that personal level of what you went through and what we all go through and you know, we got it's up to us. It's up to us to keep this alive and keep and take care of our brothers and sisters that are gonna come behind us and that's the biggest Correct. reason why I wanted to do this. And uh yeah, because, you know, I go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I, that was my motivation for this. I, I, I don't want to leave a brother or sister behind. And, and uh, you know, if you can touch one life, man, you, that you're, doing, you're doing your job. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know what the sad part about it is we're not going to be the last ones. You know what I mean? There's going to be another war that kicks off right behind us. Absolutely. I mean, it's just it's inevitable. It's, it's, it sucks to say, but it's inevitable, and it's just the way it's going to go. And uh, that being said, you know, uh, we, you know, this show is very important to me and it's, it's, I look forward to it every week. And I think, uh, you know, if you go back and listen to this show tonight, there's some very emotional things, some things uh, shared by Josh that, you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't share. And I think going through the situations that we go through and dealing with all the emotions, all the trauma that we go through, I think most wounded guys are very, most, most of them are pretty good about sharing their emotions and, and understanding that they have to get them hard things out, you know, and like with combat, combat, I guess you could define it as hours, hours of boredom followed by moments of sheer terror. And uh, for the guys that are wounded, you know, the moments turn into days, months, and even years. And uh, they have to live with that stuff for the rest of their life. And and this is one way, uh, you know, they can give back is to share their story. So nobody maybe makes the mistakes that they make. And so I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Um, This has been a, uh, pleasure for me to do this show. I know Josh really well. He's a great dude. And uh, I just would like to say right before I go, GTS Transportation, our uh, sponsor for this show and for uh, VBN, they're looking to hire a director of human resources. And so if anybody's interested in that, you can listen to the commercials and get the number and and uh, be happy for you to call in and, uh, and help GTS out. They're great people. It's a great company. And I wish everybody a happy Monday night, and I really appreciate you tuning in. God bless you. God bless America. Thank you. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Attention. Looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-7000.
847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. CBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible.